Hey friend, whether you've been a faithful listener to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast or you've just found us, I know the stories that we share here of people walking through trauma, tragedy, and major life transition can be extremely inspirational. One of the threads I hope that you see is that these people who have or are walking through pain on the podcast haven't just settled for the hurt that they've experienced. They believe that even in the midst of all their suffering, there is a way forward, that God has something more for them than just pain. And they also see the agency they have in their own lives to partner with God to take back their stories. It's that same kind of hope, the hope of real people walking through real valleys while experiencing real healing that our pain to purpose course offers. We've guided now hundreds of people just like you through all sorts of pain points and have helped them find hope and purpose through it, even in the midst of it. And we have countless stories of the way God has brought healing to people through the pain to purpose course. But I want you to hear this one from Katie. I realized that based on past hurt from just different Christian leaders that I had encountered during, because I grew up in church, that a lot of what they did to me, I was projecting onto God. So the Paint to Purpose course helped me to realize that I had a distorted view of God. It was a great moment because I got to realize that and then work to reframe my perspective of God. Maybe you need help like Katie did in reframing your perspective on who God is after what you've been through, or or perhaps you need to learn how to even begin to identify your hurt and how it's impacting your life right now. No matter where you are, the Pain to Purpose course will give you the tools to heal and find hope. You can sign up for the Pain to Purpose course at course.nothingiswasted.com. Again, course.nothingiswasted.com or click the links below or in the show notes if you're listening to this on a podcast platform. There you will have access to all the course videos and everything you need to start moving forward from pain into purpose. You don't have to wait another second to start the journey towards healing and wholeness. Go to course.nothingiswasted.com. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey friends, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Aubrey Sampson. And I'm Davey Blackburn, and it's great to have you guys joining us this week. We have, Aubrey, a fantastic conversation with none other than Preston Perry, the husband to Jackie Hill Perry. I mean, I... JHP. I didn't get to sit in on this conversation, and I'm a little bit jealous because I love <laughs> JHP, and I don't. We probably shouldn't say PP. I love Preston Perry. Um, uh, I, you know, they're a great follow on social yeah. media. They have an incredible podcast that you've been on, Davey, called Thirty That's Minutes right. with the Perrys, and yeah. their content with their kids. So they're uh, <laughs> parents to Eden, Autumn, Sage, and he finally got his boy August, which I know, like, following that journey was really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's also a poet, performance artist, teacher, a and they're just like great follows, full of wisdom. And so right. all, long story short, I was a little jealous. You got to sit down with Preston Perry, but I'm glad I get to 
I'm glad I get to be around the conversation, adjacent to the yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've yeah. had a few conversations recently that I've been a little bit jealous of. Too, okay, so that's fair then. I okay, think this is fair. what's happening as we're starting to kind of like branch out and wow. find some more voices and find some more people involved in this whole thing. It's like, oh, I kind of wanted to have that okay. conversation, but but it's, it's good. okay. We celebrate it. You celebrate right. it. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> no, um, uh, this, this is, is a, a great conversation, one. and so I want you guys lean in. We'll talk a little bit more about it on the back end of this conversation, Aubrey and I will. But for now, let's go ahead and listen to my conversation with Preston Perry. Well, Preston Perry, it's so great to have you on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining me, man. Man, thanks for having me, Dave. I'm excited, bro. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. We've got an opportunity to talk a little bit together. Obviously, I talked to Jackie a while back on our podcast, yeah. and then yeah. I was able to come on and hang out with you guys in 30 minutes with the Perrys. And now, now we get to talk to you, man. We get to yeah, hear your man. story. Yeah, bro. We hitting it from all angles. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be awesome. Hey, why don't you, for those of our listeners, or if you're watching on you, they're watching on YouTube, if they don't know you or are familiar with you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and li- what life is like. Well, um, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm a father of four. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Jackie, a lot of the most of the world know her as Jackie Hill Perry. Um, I'm a Christian apologist, um, so I teach people how to engage with other worldviews, mm. dignity and respect. Um, I, I emphasize the dignity and respect part of that. Um, I'm also a creative. I'm a poet, um, spoken word poet. I've been a poet. I started my ministry off doing poetry. Um, yeah, and for the most part, me and my wife, we just try to use theology and creativity to make Jesus known in the world. Mm. Uh, that's the, I mean, the the crux of what we what we kind of do. Um, yeah, and so wow. I think that's that 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 covers it. Other than that, I'm just a pretty boring guy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a boring guy, that's for sure. But I'll tell you this, man. I love the fact that what you just emphasized right there that you that you r- really emphasize dignity in the uh, apologetics and the and the you know approach that you take because that is not often the approach that I see people taking when it yeah. comes to you know arguing for contending for our faith yeah and we'll, we're going to talk about that at some point in this conversation because I'm really intrigued in yeah you know like what, what kind of what got you into that and all that stuff but I, I really I think that's amazing that yeah. that is the emphasis for why you do or how you do what you do you know amen. You know, you, one of the things that we talk about Nothing's Wasted podcast is we, we don't all, you know, we find ourselves in these spaces right now where we're doing ministry oftentimes or we're, we, we're repurposing something that we've gone through in our past, uh, taking our pain and, and moving it to purpose. You haven't always been on fire for the Lord. You haven't always been doing what you're doing right now. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your past, particularly you've spoken a lot about some anger that you really dealt with early on in your childhood. Mm-hmm. And there were some deep underlying roots of that. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Some of the stuff that took place in your in your upbringing and and how that resulted in some deep trauma in your own heart. Yeah, man. So um, uh, I grew up with my with my sister, my brother, and my mom in a single you know single parent household. My mom and my dad split when I was really young, you know, four years old, and um, from there, my mom, you know. And my father were kind of disconnected. So I grew up with my mom and we grew up in, you know, it's 
some rough, some rough neighborhoods, you know, where any given day you can see anything. You know, I grew up in that, in that type of environment, poverty stricken environment, you know, gang banging, hustling, you know, prostitution, murders. Um, witnessed my first murder with my mom in fifth grade, like the action in front of me. Um, uh, was a suicide homicide situation right across the street from me. Jeez. And um, yeah, from there, I mean, I think the environment started to shape, you know, my worldview. I think because that's tr- true for everybody. I mean, you know, um, your s- surrounding is always going to shape your worldview. And so from right. there, I started to have a, a worldview shape, even though I had a mom telling me, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing all kind of craziness in front of me. Uh, I had a, you know, um, had an uncle, you know, who kind of stepped in as a father figure. You know, my uncle Stan, who who raised me, who raised me, and I mean, it was a lot of us. It was I mean, he had like 14 boys, all my cousins. You know, what I'm saying we kind of grew up really tight to one another. So summertime, we would all go to his house. He was a popular person in the um, in, in the city of Chicago. He did radio, and so people around the city knew everybody knew him. Um, and so he was he kind of stepped in as a father figure. But when I was 12, um, still, you know. Um, a bad kid, but not in the streets like that, that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, my, my, my uncle kind of had a tight grip on us or whatever, uh, you know, but when I was 12, he was murdered. Um, he went to oh, the store geez. one day to pick up some ice cream um, and, you know, ended up getting killed late night um, on a Saturday. Um, and yeah, and that that kind of like really shook, shook my, my world up. Um, you know, and then I found out it was a setup, like some people set them up and, and then from there, man, I just, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't have no guidance as far as a, a male figure is concerned. And so I yeah. went from, you know, being a, a somewhat innocent, I, I was still born Zen, but somewhat innocent, you know, type, type of young man to just getting involved in selling drugs um, the end of, um, my sixth grade year, I started, I sold my first, you know, bag of weed. And then I went from, you know, selling crack the next year later, uh, gang banging, lost my virginity right after that at 12. I mean, I just like deep, like dove deep in, into like yeah. sin and just like, you know, criminal activity and just grew up really, really fast. And so, yeah. um, and it was easy for me to do that because, my, the, you know, my environment, it was just waiting for me almost. And right. so from there, man, I just, you know, yeah, I just I just started to do some pretty bad stuff. And, you know, and um, yeah, just throughout my life, I just saw so many friends die. I had so many friends die of gun violence, um, you know, until the last time I saw one of my closest friends die. Uh, one of my closest friends, his name was Chris. He actually was shot right in front of my house Jeez. and he died. Well, my mom, who's an RA and a nurse, was trying to revive him. And so when that happened, I, that's when, you know, that was like later on in my years, like uh, I was about to turn 19. Um, that's wow. what the Lord used to draw me to, to Christ. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Man, <clears throat> I mean, all the things that you witnessed, that you experienced, your environment. I mean, there, I, I don't know how, other than the Lord, and you're going to tell us here in a little bit, I'm, you know, how he did this, but I don't know how you were able to escape from that, emerge from that, because most people, yeah, they're going to get sucked into that. And, and in some ways, you know, justifiably like that, 
You know, there's, I can empathize. I can see why a lot of, you know, 12 year old kids in your, in your situation resort to gangbanging and violence and yeah. crime and just trying to survive, just trying to figure out how to survive the streets. And, yeah. um, I, yeah. you know, you alluded to this worldview. Can maybe explain that. What was the worldview that was being formulated in your heart during that time? If you had like bullet points to say, well, yeah, this is how I saw the world. This is how I saw other people. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the reasons why, you know, um, I wrote the poem a couple of years ago, Who Gives a Black Man Permission to Feel, because in my, you know, my worldview taught me that, you know, black men in my environment were not giving that permission. Everybody was heartless and callous, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, it wasn't until I became a Christian where, you know, I started to see that, no, God... God gave me emotions and feelings, you know, um, but also too, a worldview that was shaped and, you know, in my mind and my heart was, you know, like I had to do, I, like I had to do these things to survive. There was no other option for me. That's the thing about living in the in hood, man, is, you know, a lot of times people look at the hood and say, man, these cats are not doing anything. But that's that's the world that they know. They don't, they don't even know, a lot of people don't right. even know they have other options. Right. Like, 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 you know, I grew up with, with, with cats, you know, who can see downtown Chicago from their neighborhood, but never even been. Right. You know, I grew, I grew up with cats who, who, you know, who only went to school for the free lunch because mm. they were so poor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was just, you know, so when you, when you, when you, when you're raised in a type of environment, it's like. Okay, this is what I have to do to survive. And so you initially start to do it for survival, and then it just becomes yeah. who you are. You know, it shapes, starts to shape your identity. Um, so a lot of these these young men, they were good young men at, at one yeah. point from a not a godly perspective, but just a just a you know, they were innocent, right. you know, playing outside. They didn't, you know, and so they grew up in this environment that taught them that this is what you have to do to survive, this is what you have to do to exist. So I think that's what that's what the the my environment started to 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 show me eventually. Yeah, yeah. You know, Preston. After my wife was murdered, I got connected with a pastor in one of the inner city neighborhoods, a really really violent neighborhood in our in our okay. city in Indianapolis. And um, he just in a God story, he was connected like one arm's length away from the parents of the guy who killed my wife. And so it just felt like God was leading me to have a conversation with him and just yeah. kind of see, and you know, he's pastor in this church in this community and he spent two or three hours at Starbucks one day kind of schooling me on systematic theology or I'm not, I'm sorry, systematic poverty, um, systemic poverty and um, schooling me on, you know, just some of the, some of the, the difficulties, especially like with race relations in our city and some of the systemic, um, you know, uh, race issues and some of the lo the laws in our city and stuff. And, and it was just, it was eye-opening to me. And then as I began to hear some stories of members of his congregation, even hearing the stories of the, the men who killed my wife, something crazy happened in my heart where I began to grow mm. compassion and empathy. Yeah. And I think, man, and I can't explain it other than the Holy Spirit, but I think that it's, as you're sitting here talking about that side of, uh, of life, right? That yeah. so often, especially 
white suburban America, which is, makes up so much of the evangelical church and Christianity today, right? That, like yeah. just don't understand and can't yeah. empathize with. How, like how important is it for us to really, if we're going to build bridges, if we're going to make sure that we are, we are a, a, a church that is representative of all tribes, all nations, all tongues, as scripture talks about. And as we're, we're going to uh, serve the folks who are marginalized and oppressed and uh, push back injustices, how important is it for us to understand these things that you're talking about? It's, man, that's, that's, that's one of the best questions somebody asked me in a long time. Um, it's, it's very important, bro. A lot of my, I, I've had some pushback when I've talked about social injustice, when I've talked about systemic issues, you know, from the, um, the white evangelical side. Not all. I mean, so many of my white evangelical followers who follow me, a lot of them have been so supportive and, you know, listeners. And I, they, they, they probably don't even know how much they bless me. Yeah, uh, you know, um, listening and just you know, but I've had some pushback, and I think what they don't understand is I think a lot of times people think when I talk about these things, I'm only trying to maybe attack white evangelicals or mm. attack white people, but no, I actually I'm actually doing it so the black people, because a lot of black people from the hood follow me because of my background, you know, too, mm. um, and they follow me first, <laughs> and believe. Yeah. Not. And I, I do it to let them know that God cares about people on this side. Mm. I, I, it's it's more about it's more about evangelism and outreach to them. Yeah. Than it is, you know, about attacking. You know. Right. Um, right. Evangelicals. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I so I get a lot of pushback, and I think what what um what we have to understand when when that pushback is. It, I, I, to answer your question, I, I posted something one time and I was talking to um, a guy who just doesn't believe the Christian church cares about his situation, his environment, what he goes through, the things that he went through. And he grew up, you know, in the Hebrew Israelite kind of community, but he felt like God was calling him. But he was just like, yo, like, I don't really feel like the Christian church cares. And so I've been ministering to him. And I posted something about, you know, systemic, uh, I think it was, when, I think it was when George Floyd uh, was, was killed or whatever. And I posted it on my page and I got a whole bunch of pushback. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget the day because that guy who I've been trying to reach, he screenshotted the, the comment section. And he DM'd me and said, this is the church that you want me to be a part of. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think what we have to understand is it's very hard to reach a people when we yell from our neighborhoods about their issues mm. and go out to the groundwork and see how they live and to, right. to truly understand them. The Bible says, without that getting, get understanding. And a lot of times we allow whatever Christian circle that we, uh, or whatever tribe we come from to shape a narrative about a people we never had any dealings with. Mm. And I think because of that, it's very hard to mourn with those who mourn, to empathize with those who empathize, and to really understand, truly understand what uh, each other goes through. And that's just not about black and white, conservative. Dem- like it, it has nothing to do with that. It's just about like like learning from somebody who's different than you, and learning how to mourn with those who mourn. And uh, I think that if we do a better job of it, I think that man, the possibilities are limitless, and how God can use us to reach 
people in the hood and just not in the hood. That's with all walks of life. That's right. You know, um, men can understand women better. <laughs> you know, like, and, and you know, and so, yeah, I, I think it's vital, man. Hey, friend, I just want to take a quick moment to let you know about something we offer here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. Now, listen, Nothing Is Wasted is not just this podcast that you've been enjoying, full of stories of hope and healing in the midst of difficult and painful valleys. We're also a ministry with unending resources that can help you move forward on your healing journey from whatever pain you've experienced in life. We've got Pain to Purpose course, masterclasses, curated pathways around specific pain points, an online community, and so much more. But if you're just getting started on the path of healing and you're interested in learning more about how you can even begin to untangle your pain, I want to invite you to our free live five steps to taking back your story Zoom call. And I'll just be sharing some practical steps that you can take right here, right now to move from the hurt and trauma you've walked through and into deeper healing. You and I will be able to engage with each other, to be able to ask questions and learn what it looks like to start taking back your story. Now it's completely free, but it may just be the step that God uses to begin in you a journey of deeper hope and healing no matter what you faced. All you got to do is sign up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here. And join me as a first step to taking back your story no matter what you've gone through. Now listen, there is very real pain and loss that is threatening to keep you discouraged and despairing, but it doesn't have to be that way. Let me give you some practical hope that I've learned in my own pain and suffering after losing my wife, Amanda, in 2015. I found that the only way out of despair is going right through it, and life is too short to stay in your pain. We don't want to waste this, so I want to invite you to join me for our next free live Zoom call by signing up at nothingiswasted.com slash start here and let the healing journey begin in your life. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here. I think we have such a, just a very myopic perspective of who God is because we have such a narrow-minded perspective of what this world is like. Yeah. It's based on our own prejudice and biases. And yeah, true. the only way we're going to get a rounded full picture of who God is, is if we open up and invite understanding from all different races, different cultures, different genders, different ethnicities, different, you know, it's like, yeah. man, yeah. how do we under, yeah, just like what you said, man, understanding woman, my wife brings so much to the table yeah, <laughs> and helping me to understand who God is that I don't, inherently, I don't understand because I'm a different gender than her, you know? Yeah. And vice versa. Same, bro. Same. Mm. Mm. You know, you were, so you were really caught pretty deep in all of this stuff, you know, living in the streets. Um, what were some of the things that now, you probably didn't recognize it then, but now looking back on it, what were some of the emotions you were wrestling with during that time? You know, as you were having this worldview, like what were you really struggling through? Anger. That was probably that was probably the the most thing that I struggled with was anger. Uh, I was very and and that's another thing too, you know. Um, understanding somebody that comes from this particular context or worldview, like like the like never never judge a person of why they are the way they are. Um, address the why as far as the root, like like. Like what causes this person to be angry? 
And a lot of people called me a bad kid, but, you know, I was angry because my father was absent. You know, I would look at TV and see people. I would, sometimes I used to hate watching Family Matters or The Fresh Prince because Carlton had a father. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, I'm angry at that. And then, you know, I'm like, man, that's like, like, who loves me? Like, you know, why, why can't I have a father figure? You know what I'm saying? Like my uncle who stepped in, he was taken away. And so... I was angry, you know, and then I'm growing up, growing up around angry people, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, they're not teaching me how to be kind and gentle. And so I just had a really bad anger problem, fought at school a lot. Um, and I just didn't know how to manage my emotions at all, nor my anger. And so it got me in a, it got me in a lot of trouble. It got me in a lot of trouble until I, until I met Jesus. And then Jesus started to like break, break away a lot of that. That anger. Mm. So talk to me about that. What was that? What was that encounter like? Was it a journey? Was it a moment? Was it a where? How did how did the Lord intersect your story right there? Yeah. So what's what's crazy is uh, when I was sixteen years old. It's the first time I I felt like the gospel impacted me. Um, I was um, chasing a girl who I liked, um, and her her family. I ran a house church in my neighborhood, you know, right in, right in the apartment. I ran a house church and um, I went to church, you know, to, to be around her. I was like, I'm going to go, go, go to the house church. It's weird going to the house in somebody's living room and I'm going to go uh, just to hang out with her afterwards. Yeah. And um, that was the first time I heard that God had beef with the way I lived. Mm. Like before I heard, I, like, I went to church like on, Easter, because I didn't grow up in the church. And so I went to church on Easter, Christmas, stuff like that, right? And then my mom would periodically take me, you know, at times, but I didn't grow up in the church. And so mm. uh, I would hear like, you know, messages about God. My grandmother would tell me about the Lord and stuff like that. But that was the first time I feel like I, I felt like I heard or the first time I just paid attention to it, that God like had a problem with the way I live, like my, and, and that my the way I live deserved that. I was like, wow, okay, I know God is good, but he's angry at me. He's angry with me. And so, um, yeah, I just, I was like, I was just shaken up by that. And um, after that day was, was the reality, like it, it shaped a reality for me. And the reality was that God is not pleased with everything that I do. And so even though I didn't give my life to Jesus at that moment, I felt like the Lord was saying, Preston, I'm not pleased with your lifestyle. And so every sin that I would commit after that, I was conscious of it. Mm. So I believe, I tell people all the time I got saved when I was, you know, um, when I was 19, but I believe the Lord started pursuing me heavy at 16. And so when I was nine, when I was 18, about to turn 19, a friend of mine uh, was shot, was shot and killed. And my mom and my sister was trying to revive them. And at times, because I was so God conscious these last couple of years, my friends would come and ask me questions about God, even though I didn't, I don't think I knew them. <laughs> they would ask me, Pastor Man, um, do you think God would do this? You know what I'm saying? While we smoking weed and doing crazy stuff, right? And I, I would ask, I would ask those questions or whatever. And so when my friend was was on the floor fighting for his life, one of my friends named Slim asked me to pray for him. And when he asked me to pray for him, I felt in my heart, I think I was, I think that that question uh, or that or that um, command to pray for him was like, 
it, it made me like look at the reality of my own heart because I felt like if I prayed for him, God would hear my prayers. I was like, mm. I, I can't pray for this dude. My lifestyle is so jacked up. God is not going to hear my prayers. And I was like, wow. And when my, my mom was trying to revive my mom and my sister, um, I felt like the Lord was saying, this is you and your sin. Mm. You're dead in your sin. And I was like, wow. My aunt, who was a minister, was trying to get me to come and live with her. Um, and she had been telling me, you can come live with me. You can come live with me. You don't have to. I'll help you get into vocational school, yada, yada, yada. And um, and so I just took up on an offer after that. I was like, I don't know what I don't know what I have to do to become a Christian, but I just I, I know I need to be around Christians. I, I think God is calling me. I think God is pursuing me. I don't I didn't I didn't I didn't know the sense of prayer. <laughs> I just was like I, I feel like God is calling me, and so I went to go live with my aunt, who was a minister, and uh, every day I would wake up with like oil on my head. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like one of those old school ministers. She was a single woman. She has no kids. And I would wake up with all of my head or whatever. And so and I, I was so confused why I never had the, I, I never knew people pray with people yeah. with oil or whatever. And so one morning I woke up at four o'clock in the morning. She woke me up and I see her over me just praying on me like, Lord, watch him, save his soul, save his soul. And I was crazy. I woke up to somebody asking the Lord to save my soul and like, like begging God on my behalf, um, it w- w- which was crazy. So I felt like the Lord was calling me, calling me, leading me. Uh, from there, she introduced me to a guy named Gary. Gary, I knew of Gary growing up, but I didn't really know him well. He was a couple years, like three, three years older than me, who was a gang member, who was a drug dealer, who did a lot of crazy stuff growing up. And so she was like, I want to you know, connect you to this guy named Gary Brown. I'm like, Gary Brown from around the way? She was like, yeah. She was like, he different now. And I was like, he different now. Like, I know he around my age. Like, how different is he? And so the day he came over my house or whatever um, to pick me up, drove up in a Mustang. He had Jordan's baggy jeans, a hoodie on, and looking like a street cat. But when we got in the car, I immediately knew he was different. He told me how God radically changed his life. He was going to Moody College at the time. He was doing seminary. And um, he was just different. He would break out in songs you know, singing about Jesus, riding through the city. And I'm like, no, this dude is, is different. Um, long story short, he began to disciple me. And he began to teach me how to read the Bible. He began to teach me how to study the scriptures. He began to teach me, you know, uh, about the Lord, you know, but also he just allowed me to follow him. Like the disciples follow Jesus everywhere. Gary went, I went. I mean, he took me to New York. He, I mean, we go play basketball. That's how I became a street evangelist. I mean, he was an evangelist. He would go to some of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago to play basketball just so he can get a gospel to the cats afterwards. So that's how I became a street evangelist initially, wow. is following him. Um, one day, uh, something happened. Uh, we drove up to the bank. Um, rewind a little bit. Uh, after a while, I started to convince myself that I was a Christian because I did everything that Gary did. Mm. And it wasn't until one day I, we went to the bank to get some money out before we went to go play basketball. And Gary um, uh, went up to the window and a girl flirted with him at the window. And when when she flirted with him, he started to kind of, you know, you know, flirt back a little bit. But then he automatically got quiet after a while and then just just drove off, you know, after mm. she came back his thing. And I was like, that was weird. It was a very weird exchange. And then he was he was driving, he was quiet, and he said, Preston, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you something, bro. 
And I was like, what? He's like, I can't apologize to you, bro. I'm like, why do you want to apologize to me? He was like, man, that girl was flirting with me, flirting with me back there, and I, and I flirted with her back, and I feel so convicted right now. Mm. My heart is so wicked. My heart is so wicked. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, bro, and he started explaining to me about what sin is, about sinning in your heart, about lust. And I was like, wow. At that moment, it was like God spoke to me and said, Preston, this is what it means to love Jesus. And you don't love him like Gary, Gary loves wow. me. You don't, you don't love me like Gary loves me. And I felt the weight of that that day. Like it was like God showed me through the life of Gary that I am a sinner and I don't love Jesus. God just used something that small to show me that I don't love Jesus. I went home that day and I just, I, my prayer was, God, I want to love you like Gary loves you. Hmm. That was my prayer. And I was like, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I don't know the sinner's prayer. In my mind back then, I thought I had to say like a particular prayer. Right, <laughs> I right. said, Lord, I don't know the sinner's prayer. I want to love you like Gary loves you. Forgive me for my sin. And that day I just felt new. And God saved me right there in my room. So, man, the Lord. <laughs> That's awesome, man. What yeah. a, I mean, what a, what a sweet thing, just the genuineness of his, the conviction he was feeling in his heart to say, yeah. and be honest and confess that to you and how that drew you to the Lord then. Yeah, um, yeah, that's great. I, I, and I think that's good for people to know that when you are discipling people, they don't have to see all your triumphs and all your good things to be yeah. for you to lead them to the Lord. Because it wasn't, a lot of his good things I saw, I was like, okay, that's great. But it was actually one of his failures mm-hmm. and the humility and the brokenness of his failure that showed me, that was a mirror for me. It was like, well, I don't feel, I flirt with women all the time. I don't feel, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so God used his brokenness to lead me to me, to, to wow. him, which is <laughs> wow. ironic. Well, it makes sense. I know that, you, that, you know, discipleship is something you're passionate about. You talk about it a lot. You, yeah. you know, um, it's a kind of a motif of your life. And sometimes, you know, especially in in evangelical Christianity, that there's a lost emphasis on discipleship, you know, for the past 20, 25 years, it feels like the church has been built around, like pack them into a building, put on a really great show and then, then let them go. Right. But, you know, talk to me a little bit about that. Like what, what did that do when he was discipling you? How did that then shape how you interact with other people and how you help other people to come to know Christ as well. Man, that, it was, it was huge, man. It was so huge because I think um, it impacted my life so much because especially for me, I mean, I, I know everybody comes from a different world, right. In different context. But for me, you know, I, I saw Christians all my life, but I didn't see Christians who looked like me. Who, who, who will allow me to like shadow them, follow them, um, to help shape what I thought about the Lord, you know? And so I think it was so impactful for me because seeing a man, you know, close to my age who grew up in the hood, like radically turn and give his life to Jesus and me being able to see him forgive his enemies, to love his enemies, to, mm-hmm. to, to pray for those who persecuted him at times, to... To, to, to go out and give the gospel, to feed the poor. I mean, at a, at a young age, I mean, it wasn't just, uh, I'm going to meet you at a Starbucks, you know, once a week and go over a couple of scriptures, which, you know, it was like, I want to show you how I, how I live my, how I live my life. Yeah. And I think 
I think it's big. And I think that type of discipleship is big because it holistically shapes, um, um, shapes how, like shapes in our mind, how we should live before the Lord. You know, like I, I like after a while hanging with Gary, I had no excuse. Hmm. I had no excuse and God brought me to a decision. And the only thing the Lord had to do was transform my heart because I knew, I, I knew how to live now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it wasn't just somebody teaching me the scriptures. It, he did that, but he also showed me his life. And so, um, you know, in the scriptures, when Jesus is walking past John the Baptist and John the Baptist are with, is with his disciples, John says, look, there goes the Lamb of God and they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus noticed that John the Baptist and his followers are following him. And he turns around and says, like, what do you guys want? And they, they say, Rabbi, you know, teacher, where are you staying? And they asked this question, not because they wanted to see how his house looked. It was essentially, where are you staying? They wanted, they, they were saying, we want to see how you live. Yeah. Show us how you live. And so that's why he says, follow me and, and you know, follow me, you know? And so they followed him doing this three-year missionary journey. And so, and that's the way, you know, especially in Jesus's time, teachers taught, mm. you know, they taught by people following them, you know? shadow me, see how I live, see how I, how I, how I, you know, love people, see how I feed the poor, like learn from me in that way. And so I think it is a lost art in the, in the church. I think that we have to start allowing people just to follow us as we do life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, And so I think it's going to take, I feel like it's going to take a pretty big overhaul because our, our lives, Preston, I mean, like, I don't know, but like, I think about my life, it's, it's so segmented from other people, right? Yeah. Like we have our little family unit. We have our itinerary, our schedule, our calendar, what we do every single week, every single day. We've got kind of our rhythm and flow as a family, but how often are we being intentional about inviting other people into that? Yeah. And how, and how much do we even have the space and the margin for those kinds of really organic discipleship interactions to happen? You know? Yeah, and what's crazy is um, one of the things that the Lord had to, show me personally as a single man, I was single for a while, you know, before I became, got, got married to my wife. And as a single man, I had way more opportunities to mm. allow me. Like if you, if you saw me back when I was 21, 22, 23, I was on fire for the Lord. I would always have five guys with me. You know what I'm saying? That was the culture in which I kind of gave my life to as, as well. And I would always have like somebody with me. And then when I became a Christian, um, when I became married, I mean, you know, I, I still have guys with me, but that's kids. I, as I started to have more kids and my life started to get busy, the Lord knows that our life has to change, right? And 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 yeah. and, and I think God God cares, and He also understands that we are in different seasons of our lives. And so I don't I don't I don't disciple people as much as I used to mm. because my life is different, and so the way I I move has to be different. My my. My family is my first ministry now. Right, right. Discipling your kids. Yeah, I'm discipling. I'm still discipling, you know, and I'm still, I'm still like, like, you know, washing my wife with the word and discipling my children. And God cares about that as well, you know? Mm. Um, And and maybe I can't disciple five people. Maybe I can just be intentional with, you know, giving the gospel to my barber, (laughs) you know? Mm. Uh, And, you know, it's it's always ways to be intentional. Uh, I think it's not about being systematic in how we do things. I think it's just about being obedient. You know, um, God would never give us too much that we can bear. And so I think it's just about being obedient. Hey friend, tens of thousands of people receive hope through their headphones each week 
by listening to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. But we know as well as most people that healing doesn't happen simply by listening to inspiring stories. In fact, you have to engage in deeper relational community with like-minded people who are also struggling through the journey. And you have to apply the practical tools and truths that you're learning from those who have gone before you. I mean, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, those who listen to my words and put them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms will come, but the house won't fall. It's information plus application that leads to transformation, which is why we've created the Nothing Is Wasted Community Plus platform, an ecosystem of content that you can consume through the power of targeted community. Never again will you have to say that no one understands what you're going through because through Community Plus, we're bringing you both the people who quote unquote get it and the content that will help you journey through it. For just $20 a month or $200 a year with your Community Plus membership, you'll receive access to our extensive library of bonus content, including bonus podcast episodes and on-demand mini courses, access to all of our curated pathways in their entirety, on-demand replay access to all exclusive events, masterclasses, live coaching, webinars, immediate access to the Position for Redemption mini course, which is normally $97, discounts on all Nothing Is Wasted products, events, and coaching. And if you choose the annual plan, you get two months for free. Now, here's the deal. What's even better is that since Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is a nonprofit organization, Community Plus membership is tax deductible. That's right. We'll send you a statement at the end of the year and you can report that on your taxes. I believe Community Plus will be such a helpful tool for you in your pain to purpose journey that I want to give you a seven-day trial for free by signing up today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus. If you're ready to partner with God to take back your story, get the resources you need to help along the way. Through encouragement and practical steps, the Community Plus platform is what you are looking for in navigating your pain to purpose journey. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash community plus and sign up now. Join others who are finding hope and healing. So, you know, I mean, this is how many years ago was this that you got saved? I'm 35 now. I got saved when I was 19. So I've been saved. Yeah. I'm kind of an OG a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, we, we talk about this a lot that like sometimes God heals us in poof, right? We have these deliverance type moments. Mm-hmm. Salvation is definitely one of those moments, right? Where your heart's regenerated. There's an yeah. actual spiritual thing that happens in a moment when you, when you get saved, right? You swap yeah. all of your sin for all of God's righteousness. You're justified before, before God because of the finished work of the cross. And so, mm-hmm. so that's a moment, right? But then after that, there's this whole long journey of sanctification that will be until we die. And it gets layered and complicated when you've experienced the kind of trauma that you experienced growing up. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about like what were some of the critical mile markers, so to speak, in your in your life where some of this trauma began to get untangled? How did that anger that was really knotted up inside of you begin to get unraveled and you begin to understand a different worldview than what you were, were talking about at the beginning of this conversation? Yeah, I mean, it it was it a lot of that anger and a lot of that trauma. Um, and just even sexual sin, you know, mm. uh, God had to minister to me through mistakes, mm. through failure. I had to feel the weight of that sin still. 
And that's the thing about sanctification. God will use sin and evil to help sanctify you, to draw you closer, to, to show you over and over again, it is impossible for you to do it by yourself. But you need me. You need me. Mm. And so sometimes God allow you will allow you to fall on your face so that you will be led to the cross. And that was just me over and over again, particularly in sin, with the, with the sin of anger. I mean, when I was, you know, when uh, I was 20, I think I was 20, 21, that's when I met my wife. And we both had viral spoken word poems on YouTube, and that's kind of where our ministry started. Mm. I started to travel the country doing spoken word poetry. But, you know, sometimes people will say things in me and show that I didn't like. And I would, you know, I ran up on a couple of guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and tried to fight a couple of guys. I'm being honest. Early in my ministry, like, said some very disrespectful things to me in, in the world that I came from. You know, I was taught to deal with conflict in a particular way. And so even though, you know, I was a Christian at this time that my heart was new, I still had the residue of a lot of, you know, my life. I mean, I think Peter was following Jesus, but when he cut that guy ear off, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean, Peter was still being sanctified, y'all, you know? Uh, And so uh, for me, like, it wasn't until I started to like, have those failures. Um, and I actually started to question was I a Christian when I had those failures. Um, and then the Lord had to show me like, no, it's not about what you do. It's about the state of your heart after you do them. Mm. What I did was wrong, but how I felt, how my heart felt, I felt oh, I felt the Holy Spirit conviction every single time. Mm. That was the difference between old Preston and new Preston. And it drove me to depend on Jesus more. You know, it, it drove me to do Hebrews 4.14, where it says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, therefore come to the throne of grace with boldness that we might find help and favor in our time of need. Like I literally was driven to the throne of grace all over and over because I just couldn't do it myself. And God was sh- shaping me, shaping my heart. Uh, you know, uh, and like I said, like even with sexual sin, I lost my virginity when I was 12 years old. And I fell in sexual sin early in my Christian walk. Mm. And I felt like the Lord was ministering to me in my room and was saying, Preston, it's not like I didn't save you, but you live like I saved you in portions. I saved you holistically. I saved your heart. And the reason why you're falling in this area is because you don't believe that I'm God in this area. It's still some unbelief. It's still some unbelief that I'm dealing with, (laughs) that I want to sanctify you from. I still want to snatch you out of this particular sin, but I want you to, I need you to believe me in this area. It's not that I can't do it. You don't believe me. And so I, so for a co- course of a couple of years, it was the Lord consistently allowing me to fall on my face so that I may surrender. Like, okay, Lord, I don't want this. I don't want this anger anymore. I don't want to feel this conviction anymore. And I give it to you, give it to you. And it was just a practice of just giving my sins to God and exchanging. Cause I think that's what sanctification is. I think when God saves us, that's an issue. Like he saves us from the wrath to come. But sanctification is, 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 is conti- like a continued, you know, state of that exchange. It's God saying, okay, you still have some, some residue of sin in you. Like, give me that. I'm going to give you some more of my righteousness. Give me that. I'm going to give you some more of my righteousness. And that's what sanctification is. It's, it's yep. sanctifying us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so... That's what I had to learn, you know? And so I, I actually want to encourage Christians to know that when you fail, the Bible tells us we will. <laughs> it does not mean that you don't love the Lord. 
Yeah. As long as you feel this burning conviction in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. Mm. That's the Holy Spirit leading you to the cross. And, you know, and that's the Holy Spirit, you know, sanctifying you, you know. Wow. And so um, be encouraged mm. that God is still doing the work that he started. Mm. That's so good. That's so encouraging because I think often we can have this belief for whatever reason. I'm sure it's, it's a lie from the enemy that we start taking steps forward in our walk with Christ and then we sin, we mess up, we fail and it's like, boom, we're now back to square one as if yeah. we didn't make any kind of progress. Nope. The reality is, is this that sin, just as you said, that sin is just another step, another component to the Lord refining us, ministering to us Then, if we approach the throne of grace with confidence, right? Knowing that... Um, that he is ready to forgive and then he's ready to also yeah. move us forward in, in, in healing us from and helping us have victory and find victory from that sin, yeah. right? I mean, in like addiction recovery, so many times, like 12-step programs, they'll say, you know, once an addict, always, always an addict. Yeah. And I'm like, I appreciate so much about 12-step programs and stuff is we're working with people who have a lot of addictions or a lot, of, but but that right there, that's not that's not the gospel. No, it's not. God right. meets us, declares us new, you know? That's and so, right. Um, yeah, I don't agree with that either. <laughs> he declares us new, and then he makes us new, right? We actually can heal and, and live victorious out of that, right? And it may take some time, like what you're yeah. saying. It may take some stumbling forward and some failing. And that's right. That's I mean, that's most of our experiences. However, we don't have to fall into this hopeless trap of going, this is how it's always going to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know? Amen. I, yeah, yeah. A lot of people feel feel that way, but it's like, no, nah, like God. That's that's the way God gets glory. Uh, he gets gl- glory in that way, and he and I think he saves us radically in that way. So the world has no doubt that he did it. You know, wow. uh, and that's what I love about God. It's like, man, like people who knew me previously, they it was no doubt because Preston was own wouldn't have changed this drastically. And so that's the thing about God. Like God can, you know. It's really about us surrendering. As long as we're willing to surrender, God can God can take it away. You know. Wow, wow. You know, both you and Jackie come from, you know, pretty tough pasts and backgrounds. But you have these radical stories how the Lord, you know, saved you, each of you, and then brought you guys together. But I'm sure, just as you were saying, some of the residue of that has crept into marriage. I mean, so many people listen to this, watching this, myself included. You know, my my wife comes from trauma. I've got some big T tragedy trauma in my life. And so, you know, you bring those two things together, it doesn't get simpler. It becomes even more complicated. Yeah. And yet it also can be beautiful. Can you talk a little bit about that, kind of that component of how sometimes your trauma and hers can rub up against each other, but then what do you do to create space to really, you know, minister to each other in that and come into finding finding unity and wholeness in that? Man, uh, that's a really good question. I mean, when we first got married, we were friends for three years before we dated. And when we first got married, we thought it was going to be a walk in the park because we knew each other so well. <laughs> close. And it was like, man, our first year, we was like, wow, what do we do? Mm. What do we do? Did we make a mistake? It was so mm. tough. Her past sin, my past sin. I mean, it got to a point where we didn't even want to come home to one another. It was, mm. it was, it was all about trauma. It felt like it, you know, came up at once. And um, you know, I had daddy issues. She had daddy issues. I mean, I had trauma, you know, from growing up in the streets. She had trauma from being abused by you know men, and 
molested and all of these things. And it's just started to come up. And, you know, one of the things that the Lord showed me um, early on, I, I believe it was my second year marriage, that on the other side of ugly is always beauty. Mm. That if you, uh, if you're willing to fight, if you're willing to fight for, um, you know, righteousness in your marriage, holiness in your marriage, love in your marriage, that God has just a way of making ugly things beautiful. He, I mean, he, that's what he thrives at, you know? And we, and a lot of times you might think like we did, and God, you must have made a mistake. This is too tough. And it's like, no, nah, like, I actually, God actually thrives in the tough things. If, if we're willing to, to, to see what he's leading us and surrender to what he's trying to do. And yeah, it was tough early on, you know, dealing with her. I mean, her being abused early on, she, yeah, she didn't trust me. And it was like, our first year of marriage, it was like, you don't trust me? Like, why do we get married? You know, I was frustrated and, and I didn't really trust women, you know? And so God just began to minister to, to, to both of us. It wasn't until, I think it was our second year of marriage, we didn't have no money and, I, and our cable got cut off. And the Lord, we, we see now that the Lord intentionally did that so we can talk. <laughs> TV was just such a, a a distraction for us. And we just sat and we just talked, talked through all the things. We were vulnerable and we were like, yo, like we see how God wants to use us like a glove mm-hmm. when we when we get some of this stuff out of the way. And that's the beautiful thing about the sanctification. A lot of times people say, Lord, sanctify me, make me like you, right? That's a prayer for us. And we we don't think about that in the context of marriage. Marriage will marriage is the one relationship that will sanctify you like no other relationship in this world, yeah. right? Because that's a that's a relationship where no one is in more close proximity to you than your spouse, and so they see all of your flaws, they see all of your shortcomings, they see all of your attitudes, right? And so if you will allow God to sanctify you in marriage you can become a, a better holistic Christian in marriage, right? <laughs> because wow. God will use, and that's what God did. God just started to use our marriage to show us the weight of our sin, the weight of our selfishness, the weight of our pride, the weight of our fear, right? And um, he just begins to just, yeah, destroy and to take a lot of that stuff out by using one another. But it wasn't until we, we actually stopped and, and, and talked it. Yeah. And we realized God began to show us, you know, I'm using y'all to, to sanctify one another. And so wow. it got easier over, over the years. And so now we kind of, you know, more of a team and there's still love. I mean, like every other marriage, we still have disagreements and stuff like that, but it's way easier, you know, when you allow God to, to do his thing. So, yeah, man, that's awesome. That's so good. You're right. It's like, God, there's like three major mediums I've found that God uses for sanctification. Marriage being like your primary one, right? That's yes. like the, and then kids, yeah, they'll sanctify you too, right? Oof. Like crazy. Yeah, you ain't lying. And then your whatever your calling and your purpose is, especially ministry, man. God uses yeah. ministry to sanctify you, make you more into the image of Jesus. Yeah. I, I'd love to switch gears for a couple minutes, Preston, and talk about this apologetics thing. I know we talked a tiny bit about it at the beginning. Yeah, and I, I want to underscore that idea of you want to you're you try to help people contend for the faith with dignity. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Why is that so important to you? You know why? 
I know what you, I know what you, when you say that, I'm like, oh, that's so refreshing because that's so counter what I've seen. But maybe, maybe commentate on that for us a little bit. Why, why did, how did you come to that conclusion? Man, so what's crazy is I, I came to that conclusion because I believe that the scripture does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really short story, the, the way I, I became an apologist is I, I started off as an evangelist with the guy, Gary Brown. And when I was in college, in two-year vocational college, I started that before I went to a seminary. Uh, a guy came into my class with the Bible. I thought he was a Christian. Did not know that he was a Jehovah's Witness. Mm. And um, we started to have like these debates about the deity of Jesus, the Trinity and stuff like that. And I remember the first time we had a, 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 a argument, a conversation, you know, a crowd uh, formed around us in the cafeteria. And he just knew the whole Bible. This guy knew everything. Mm. And he knew things that I did not know. And to be quite honest, embarrassed me. You know, I was like, I'm around here being an evangelist, telling people about Jesus. And now this person is saying something different than what I'm saying. And I don't really know how to prove. And it, 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 I, I took that challenge. I went to went home and I started to study the Jehovah's Witness religion and stuff like that. And I started to like grow this, almost like this passion to come to school to prove it wrong. And we would have like debates every Thursday at school. And I felt like the Lord... Um, he was scary to ask me a question. He was like, are you still trying to win this brother? Win this brother? Mm. And I was like, oh, I, don't, I, I think I've lost trying to win him. Mm. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to win hearts, not arguments. And I was like, wow. it was so convicting. It was so convicting. Wow. And so that's when I started to, started to like, let me study apologetics. I mean, let me study why God wants us to do apologetics. And I started to develop a, a heart for him, not just a, a passion to win an argument with him. And so then I looked at 1 Peter 3.15, where it says the, the, probably the most popular apologetics pa- uh, passage, right? When Peter says, um, you know, uh, in your hearts, um, uh, honor the Lord, the Christ is holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who actually has the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So when those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they mm. be put in shame. When we look at this scripture, it says make a defense. But when we look at the scripture, it's surrounded around good conduct. Mm. It starts with the heart. It says, in your hearts, honor the Christ, honor Christ the Lord is holy. So it's all it's it starts with a yeah. heart that's willing to honor Christ. And then it says, always being prepared to make a defense. That's the apologia, right? Mm. Apologetics derives from the Greek word apologia, which means to make a defense or argument or justification for something. But then it goes on to say, but yet do it with gentleness and respect. It goes right back to conduct, right? So those who revalue good behavior in Christ. So when we read that scripture, a lot of people only focus on the defense part, Mm. (laughs) but Peter doesn't, Right. It's, it's surrounded around the way we treat people, the way we talk to people, the way we, the way we conduct ourselves, because we can, we, the thing, the thing about uh, apologetics or defending or defending the faith is we don't understand that we can present the unadulterated truth to someone and still make the Christian faith look like a liar by the way we treat it. Wow. That's what people don't understand. 
it's not about just the words you say. My grandmother used to say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm. Right. And so you can you can speak truth and you can still look like a liar. You know, mm. wow. because the because your conduct is contradicts your words. You look like a liar. And so God doesn't want that. And so God equally cares about the behavior more than he cares about the truth that's being presented. And so I think that if we understood that more, I think that I think that, that will begin to shape how we and why we do apologetics, why we, why we you know, uh, contend and defend the faith. And so that's just kind of been my, my goal. Uh, I, I love truth. That's the reason why I named my, my, my son middle name Truth. <laughs> mm. uh, but I think truth, it, it it it's only good when it's when it's married or holding hands with with dignity, respect, and honor. That's so good. Yes, you know, Scripture says, "Be full of grace, seasoned with salt." Right? Yes, it seems mm. to give us a formula right there. Yeah, it says, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna our life is going to speak of the gospel." Right, we're gonna yeah. be full of grace as we interact mm-hmm. with other people, as we win hearts as people observe how we live, our conduct. Mm-hmm. And then that makes your words, the seasoning with salt, so powerful, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. But we get it backwards so many times. Absolutely. And, and looking at Jesus, looking at the life of Jesus, how he did it, he often loved people well, even before he gave the gospel to them. He often mm. met physical needs. And, you know, even at the, when he went to the woman at the well, he knew he was going to tell her she had five husbands, <laughs> you know, he didn't he approached her in a time of the day where he can be alone. So he wouldn't embarrass her in front of people. Right. I mean, he thought about people and the way he loved people prior gave him a door, an open door to give the gospel. He often met people's physical needs before he met their spiritual soul to open their hearts. Right. And so that's what apologetics should. I think our apologetics should be linked to our evangelism. Mm. We shouldn't just be out here doing apologetics just to seem smart or seem like we have more knowledge than somebody knows. It's like, are we trying to win people in cults? Mm. You know, are we trying to win the Jehovah's Witness? Are we trying to win the Mormon? Are we trying to win the Hebrew Israelite? Are we trying to win the Muslim? Right? Um, It's not about just winning the argument. It's like, man, like God has a people that will hear the gospel and those are part of their people. You know, um, so we just have to be faithful and, and treat people well and, and make sure we give the truth in the process. Wow, that's so good. All right, Preston, I got one more question because I've been dying to know this. I know you and Jackie see a lot of the landscape of the church, the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. And one of our passions, um, it's become kind of a new passion for us, especially since um, now our course, Pain to Purpose, is being launched in churches all over the country. And so we're starting to see, man, God really wants to heal his church. He wants to heal the church. There's so much hurt, pain, trauma that's going around in the body of Christ. I, you know, I feel like you guys have a very prophetic voice into the uh, evangelical church, and I I wonder, as you're seeing everything that's going on, what what do you guys think it's it's going to take for the church to become the the whole body of Christ, a healed? body of Christ that can be an agent for reconciliation and healing in our world today. What, what do you feel like it's going to take? As you look at everything, like, okay, this issue, this issue, this issue, like, what do we, what speak into that as you look at the landscape of the church right now? Huh. I'm putting you on the spot, man. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's a good question. The first thing, the first thing that popped in my, my mind, my mind is humility. Mm. Um, 
I think that we we don't really understand the way God can use us when we humble ourselves. Mm. When we humble ourselves, because I, I, th- I think what happens is, I think the church don't realize how much of the world shapes a lot of our worldviews, even in the church. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, you, you, you know, how much the political culture shapes the way we do theology, how much of our social circles, you know, that we do in everyday life shapes the way we think about scripture and, 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 and other image bearers. And I think that if we don't have great humility to say, man, maybe the way I do life is informing how I come into the body of Christ and love other image bearers. I don't think God will be able to use the church to how he wants to use the church holistically. Now, I, I do believe when I when I when I talk about the church, I'm going to be careful to 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 distinguish, right? Because everybody, and I might get in a little trouble for saying this. Everybody who say they're Christian is not a part of the church, mm. <laughs> right? Okay, that's one thing about we, that. That's one thing that we have to realize. Mm. Everybody who say you know like I. I saw this one Christian page, not going to shout out the page or whatever, but the whole page consists of pointing out false teachers and pointing mm-hmm. out wrong things, right? You never see them building up. You never see them exhorting. You never see them doing anything. It's just like, it's hard for me to believe that Jesus is involved in this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, especially when you're, when you're talking about people, you never have to do life with, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and, and that's because, you know, we serve a God who condescended and dwelled amongst his community. It was intimate. And so we live in a, we live in a society where we're a part of church, a, a quote unquote church who speak a lot about other people groups that they never have to come down and commune with. Right. And it's, it's almost contrary to how Jesus lived and modeled how we should do life. And so I, I think when I see Christians modeling Jesus in that way, that's when I say, man, you you look like Jesus. Wow. Right? You, 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 like, I don't care if you're black, white, Asian, Native American, like, like, man, like I'm I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put anybody into a heaven or hell. I'm not trying to say, I don't think I have the power to say who's saved. I think I only can tell people how to be saved. But I'm more comfortable with saying, man, you're my brother, and we together consist of the church. Mm. Let us come together. <laughs> wow. Let us come together now and, and 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 let's display. And so that's the reason why I'm always looking for like white brothers like you. Mm. I'm I'm really friends with um uh, a lot of Asian brothers and sisters in the faith. Um uh, I, I have a Native American friend. Like, mm. like let us lock arms, let us all be humble, let us all be willing to learn from one another, and let's together display to the world what the church looks like. Yeah. Because the wow. devil, believe it or not, the devil still used people who was under the banner of Christian. Yeah. He's going to use those people to start confusion. Yep. To to talk about people, you know, you can do, you can, you can, you can do the gospel. You can you can preach the gospel for 10 years straight. The moment, you know, you say something about politically or whatever, or you know. You, the devil is going to use somebody under the bandwagon, uh, under the, um, the the banner of Christian, to 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 put put a blog out about you to to confuse yep. people about who you are in Jesus, and it's going to start confusion. I mean, that's I don't think that's never never not going to happen, right? Unfortunately, right. 
but the church is it consists of people who are willing to to learn from one another, who are willing to humble themselves like Jesus humbled themselves himself or whatever, and come together and display to the world the love of Christ. And so uh, I always want to make the distinction because everybody who says that they're Christian um, are not Christian. Yeah. And, and, and God will weed out those yeah. people in this time. It's not our That's job. Right. God would do it. But yeah, the church, I, I think the church is in, in, you know, it's in good hands because I think when we stop paying attention to so many people who are doing it wrong, and people start to pay attention to brothers like me and you, right? Yeah. They'll see that, no, God's church is still yeah. here. That's right. You know, if we start paying attention to everybody who's starting, you know, the confusion, the division, and start to pay attention to the people who are really trying to love Jesus and learn from one another, I think that we'll see that God's church is actually still in good hands. That's great. Man. Preston, this has been awesome. This has yeah, been awesome. Bro. Thank Thanks you so brother. much for spending time with us. Um, where can we where can we follow along uh, your work, what you do? Is there any places we can connect with you? Yeah, man. So Instagram is always a great place. You know, that's a, that's the place that connects us all nowadays. Um, uh, my my uh, I add is um, at Preston underscore in underscore Perry again. That's Preston underscore in underscore Perry. Um, but you can also follow me on YouTube. I have a YouTube. Um, channel called With the Parish with my wife. Mm-hmm. We also have a podcast called 30 Minutes with the Parish for all, you know, streaming platforms. With that, um, also you can follow my my YouTube channel on Apologetics called Bo TV. Well, now it's called Apologetics for Preston Perry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm engaging with different worldviews like Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, atheists, agnostics. Um, and yeah, I think those are all the platforms you can follow me. Uh, That's awesome. Well, man, thanks so much. This has been such a blessing. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Well, it was good as I knew it would be, baby. (laughs) (laughs) It was very good. There's so many different threads within what he was talking about that really are 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 parts of like passion, parts of my heart. You know, Mm. inner city, and obviously with how that dovetails with my story and losing Amanda and the the guys that that broke into our home and that killed her, mm-hmm. that they were off the streets. And there was, I mean, there's yeah. just so much of that, that overlap that were, you know, it's just such a, that's a, it was really cool to be able to dive in and talk to Preston about that. I was like, Hey, how did you escape wow. that lifestyle? And yeah, how did yeah. you begin to work through, how do we help people work through yeah. trauma, no matter where they found themselves, even in places and spaces of systemic Mm-hmm. oppression, you know? Yeah. So it was yeah. really good. That's, it was really that's good. That's so good. Mm. That's so good. I I appreciate, and they both post videos about this, but he talked to you about it too. I appreciate um, Preston's love for evangelism and yeah. and for apologetics as well. Yeah. Um, but his call to kind of do it not like winning arguments, right. which I think is sometimes we we have that idea that that's what apologetics yeah. or evangelism is. Like I'm going to, I'm going to bully somebody yeah. to the faith. I'm going to win this argument. Yeah. Well, what if, what if it's about how we treat people, Oof. you know? And, and I think this is so important to think about in pain yeah. because you and I were talking before we started recording, when you're walking through pain and suffering, tragedy, trauma, life transition, and, um, people watch you going through that. Right. And I think especially in the social media world we live in, it right. is easy to watch other people walking through their pain yeah, and trauma. Yeah. 
that is an opportunity to be an evangelist because Man, people, I mean, I saw this with my friend Jen yeah. when she was going through chemo. Like she would post each week about the hope she had in Jesus while like right. she was declining and people were like, whoa, yep. how do you have that hope? Yep. And, and scripture tells all us that always to, be ready to give yes. reason for the hope that you profess. Yeah. And I think especially in pain, people are looking. Yeah. For that, like, how do you have that hope in the midst yeah. of your pain? So it's like evangelism, apologetics, yeah. pain. Somehow are all wrapped up. Yeah, I'm. Together. I'm sure I've said this before, but it's like when a fight breaks out in the lunchroom or something in middle school, and like Everybody all the heads snap. I mean, that's what when the yeah. fight breaks out in your life. Mm. Everyone's for a, for a season for a period. There's a moment in time, a window mm-hmm. where people are looking, and yeah. this is the moment. It's a moment I felt on a on a very large scale when Amanda was killed. Because yeah, it sure because maybe. it became this national media thing, and so people they will ask me now, well, how did you, how could you declare some of those things in the like right in the shock of losing Amanda? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's because beforehand there was enough awareness of what this whole battle, this spiritual warfare we've been talking about the past couple, this narrative that we're all caught up in, mm-hmm. that there was enough awareness for me to go, okay, this is one of those windows that I can acknowledge God before man. Or not. Wow, Davey. And I want us all to be aware of that, that we each are going to have these moments where the fight's going to break out in our life and next they're going to snap and go, how's he going to yeah. handle this? Yeah. And, you know, as we acknowledge God before man, even if we're not necessarily feeling it at that moment, like I knew I can, I can declare what I know to be true and mm-hmm. I can then go and grieve and I can yeah. figure this whole right. thing out and right. and then right. open up that for people and help them to be on that journey right. with me. But there is an unbelievable opportunity in your mm-hmm. own pain to share the gospel. Mm. I think what's interesting about this, Dave, is you, you quoted First Peter, always be prepared to give an answer. Mm-hmm. And he, Peter talks about doing this with gentleness and respect <laughs> um, out of good behavior. Yes. But what I feel like I sometimes am seeing more and more seeing happen culturally is this kind of like this sort of Christian, um, well, it's anti-Christian in my mind, but sort of this Christian subculture that's like, mm. oh, screw kindness and respect. Yeah. Let's gentleness. We're at war. We're at war. So we got a battle. A we got a battle. period of history. So now yeah. we are, yeah. Mm. We don't have to be winsome. We don't have to be kind. We're just going to, and hmm. I- I hear that, and I that feels so antithetical to the gospel, to the way Jesus loved his enemies, to the way that the Holy Spirit pr- produces the fruit of the Spirit, to what yep. Peter's talking about. And yep. so I appreciate that Preston Perry talked about this. Like our posture and the way we treat people as evangelists, especially in pain, mm. when we could be triggered very easily to be, you know, bitter and hurtful mm. people. Um, that matters, I think, as much as the words we say or, or the, like, that's the, that's the apologetic sometimes. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. It's important for us to know why we believe what we believe. So Absolutely. we're talking about internal conversations, internal facing, and we're talking about external facing. And there's two mm-hmm. different things. And those two things overlap. They are circles that overlap. But in terms of us knowing the reason that we believe what we believe, we do have to be very uh, vigilant about understanding that. Yeah. Right? Within within our own 
circles inside to insiders. It's the insider language. It's like the same thing when we, as an organization, we nothing is wasted has insider language with our team yeah. where we, yeah. we say, this is who we're going to embody. This is what we are. But if we were to say that out to outsiders, mm-hmm. they'd be confused. They're like, well, I don't understand what you're, what, hold on. So we interface differently with outsiders, Yeah. right? And, yep. and so it's not that we're like dual faced, but it's yeah, that we have a different approach, yes. right? Yeah. And there is some overlap within that, that, you know, so it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and we are mm-hmm. ambassadors of, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, scripture tells us. Mm-hmm. And so if it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, how is it our curtness that's going to lead others to repentance? Anybody how is it to our, repentance. Yeah, it's not going yeah. to do that. It's the same yeah. embodiment of the Holy Spirit and kindness that's going to lead mm-hmm. others to repentance. And so people are going to be won over by our behavior, yeah. by our posture, by our approach, yeah. yes. and especially in pain, because they're going to go, yeah. wow, you were able to walk through that, mm. not demonstrating bitterness, mm. not demonstrating vitriol, not de- all of these things that the world does. Yeah, We're a different kingdom. We're a diff- yeah. We embody something different. And that's okay. what turns people's heads and goes, oh, okay. And you can't, <laughs> the thing is, is like, we're the folks who were caught up in the crusades. <laughs> totally. They yes. approach this as like, we're at war. And so we have to we're defend. War, and, gonna... and there was something different. There was a different motivation behind that. Mm-hmm. They did it in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity, but it had everything to do with power, with control, with that's yeah. a di- that's empire. That's a different kingdom. Yeah, that's evil. The kingdom of Shalom is the kingdom that we embody. Mm-hmm. This is the kingdom where God told his people, hey, when the Babylonians come and take over, I want mm-hmm. you to seek the welfare of their people. The city, those the people, city. they're flourishing. When you, Because yes. in their welfare, you're going to find your welfare. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and we've got to be like a Daniel spirit that like yeah, from the inside, right. right, interacts, engages with honors, even the enemy, right, as yeah. it infiltrates, because then it turns the head of those kings to go, Huh. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar's like, Yep, that's okay. That God that's is the, the one God, I want to follow. Right? Yep. So we've yep. gotta we gotta recognize that uh, that we see this in scripture all throughout as God's people. We mm. are marked by living differently. Oh, it's such a good reminder. And that doesn't mean don't have your strong ethic no. about things that's biblical. It doesn't quite mean the opposite. You don't, like, yeah, it is. It's like that distinctiveness, not just of what we stand for, but the way we stand That's right. for it. That's where the power is. It's the approach. Yeah. And I, I just think when we lose gentleness, kindness, and the fruits of the spirit as our posture, yeah. we I think we get that's when we look like the yeah. world and that's when we begin to lose power. That's right. You're right. It does not it is not a compromise in our ethics whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a call to even a a greater ethic. Yeah. And if we're going to borrow the example of Daniel again, look in Daniel chapter one, you see him decide, hey, we're not going to take the king's food. But notice how he decided. He didn't go like, he didn't dig his heels in and go, blasphemy, no, you know, (laughs) by the power of God, I am not doing that, right? No, he was a lot more diplomatic than that. He was so diplomatic. And he said, hey, listen, um, why don't we do this? He negotiated that. Can we, mm-hmm. is, is this okay? And, and, and test it, right? If you don't see later that yeah. we're healthier, that we're, then you can shut it down, right? But, yeah. but, we, but it's a conviction we have. Can you honor that? And man, mm-hmm. 
that was that was an apologetic right there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. That was a beautiful picture of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, so good. So good to think about. Thank you to Preston Perry yeah. for um, helping remind us I of know. the gentleness and respect that we ought to have when we when we have these conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Um, Davey, I want to highlight our community platform and community plus. Yeah. Uh, we have so many resources oh, for you. I feel like we haven't told the people in a while like what those resources <clears throat> are. Can you tell everybody? Well, yeah. If you've received emails from Nothing Is Wasted, you're part of our like subscription there where you're, mm-hmm. you know, receive you'll see that we offer a masterclass every single month. We've got bonus episodes, conversations that yeah. we've had that are not on the podcast or on YouTube. Um yeah. we've got live coaching replays where I've jumped on and just coached groups of people live and we've brought some certified coaches on. We've got mini courses that we've taught. We're continuing to put more mini courses back um, on that membership plan. So that way you guys can continue to engage. You know, our hope and our desire would be that first of all, you'd engage with the paint a purpose course because we feel like that's kind of like most people's next step. Hey, how do I actually start to heal from my trauma yeah. relay a firm foundation in, in, uh, in my faith and now learn how to move forward on purpose. But then after the pain to purpose course, some people go through it multiple times, but there are a lot of people mm-hmm. who go, okay, what's next? Community plus, that's what's next. Yeah. There's so much there for you to continue to engage. Some of it's very specific to the type of pain you're going through. Or all of our curated pathways are there. It's a wonderful resource for you as you're continuing to heal and then find mm-hmm. purpose um, that you can exercise out in the midst of, of your pain. So yeah, I encourage you good. to do that. Nothingiswasted.com slash community plus. And you can, it's $20 a month. That is a tax is deductible. So it's tax deductible. Yeah. So you imagine this, like you're donating $240 a year and receiving all of this stuff and you get to write it off in yeah, your taxes. So good. Um, and so it's, um, yeah, it's just a, it's, I think it's a no brainer because it just puts right there so much great, rich content and resources there yeah. at your yeah. fingertips. Love it. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for always uh, providing the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can find his music wherever you listen to your music. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are on the Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, mm-hmm. at Davy Blackburn, and at Ob Samp. We have an incredible conversation for you next week. Adam Mabry. Yeah. Uh, pastor yeah. and someone really committed to the gospel and the glory of God. Yeah. Going to talk about his pain to purpose story. We cannot wait for you to take a listen to that. So actually, let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with Adam Mabry. Through the intensity of this season, my wife and I were like, okay, we need help. <laughs> and so we started working with, I mean, just the most fabulous therapist I've ever met in my life. And, um, and so he's, he's helped us so much. And probably the greatest gift that he's given me is the, uh, some tools to just notice how my emotions are doing mm-hmm. to sort of be able to go, Oh, I'm, I'm pretty sad or angry. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty cerebral guy. I have huge emotions, but I was not, I was not aware of the level to which, those emotions were running my, my mind and my body. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so one of, he, he just helped me be aware, you know, no, no magic tricks, no, no, no anything like that. Just like, Hey man, what, what you just said there doesn't make sense. It's not right. Which means your brain is now being run by your feelings about a situation. Mm. And so, 
so one of the first things that I began to do as a result of this gift is to examine, is to become curious about my emotions and what the, the emotions are telling me. Because uh, your emotions are a way of knowing the world. The, 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 the best thing my emotions are uh, good for is just telling me how I feel, not right. what is actually true about the external reality, and definitely not what is most true about God. Yeah. But because we live when we live and where we live, you know, at the you know end of a 250-year-long experiment in selfishness, you know, that began in the continent yeah. of Europe in the 18th century and it's kind of metastasized you know, down the road here at Harvard um, with some of the worst ideas that come out of that. Wow. Uh, institution, uh, you know, for more of that, Carl Truman wrote a, wrote a great <laughs> book on that and you should go read it. But because of when and where we are, I, we can't escape the fact that we live in a culture that has elevated emotionality to the level of your emotions determine your identity, your emotions yeah. determine what is true, your emotions determine, like, they're the most determinative factor in almost anything. And so mm. when I could, when I begin to realize, oh, that's, I'm affected by that. Mm. And if I can just before I just let my emotions move me along, at least step back and notice what they are. Then I can actually insert like, okay, well, but this is what God's word says. Yeah. So we talk about often, you know, we're big on discipleship here and we're big on like, Hey, list 10 lies that you believe. Let's go hunt for scripture that actually yeah. contradicts those lies and confess them. But that'll only have limited effect if, the person who is confessing these scriptures doesn't know how those lies are affecting their emotions <laughs> because often wow. the fight isn't really in my prefrontal <laughs> cortex. It's not when my, wow. it's not up here, it's here uh, yeah. and engaging my mind and my, my spiritual habits to alter my inner life uh, mm. can only be done when I first notice my inner life. So all of that is a long way of saying first I had to learn what the heck was going on and, and admit I actually don't, which is hard for someone like me. And then relearn, oh, okay, this is how the Word of God can engage my emotions, and I can't mm. let my emotions be in charge of how, I, how, I, how, how God is. Mm. My emotions don't tell me the nature of God, but the nature of God can speak to my emotions. 